goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now, here's Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Attention, Ditto Heads. Attention, Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now, here's Bo Snurdly. It is Monday. Welcome to your Monday Rush Hour. If you, and it's Juneteenth. So if you're free in any manner of speaking, and you want to be part of today's program, 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800-848-9222. Just because it's June 10th, and you know what? I didn't even remember. I'm it's Shame on me. Slap, slap. I didn't remember that it was a federal. This is the second year it's been a federal holiday. All kind of people are off. I, I went to do something at a bank, and it's like, we're closed. Why are you closed? What the hell? Oh, it's June 19th. So, yeah. It's Juneteenth. And my good friend, Dean Carianis, who used to work with me on the Rush Show, as you may know, he's our historian, too. He runs a website called HistoryAuthor.com. He's written a piece in the New York Sun today. It's a very inspiring piece about June 10th and why it should actually be celebrated. And uh, it is hopefully we'll have some time to get into that a little bit more. But, of course, news of the day. Last hour, a story broke that Democrat delegate, and she's from the Virgin Islands. She's one of the loudmouth Democrats there that is particularly nasty. She had a really nasty exchange with Mike Taibbi a few months ago. Stacy Plaskett is her name. I want you to listen to what she said when she was uh, making a guest appearance yesterday on PMS NBC. This is what she said. Trump not only have had the codes, but now having the classified information for Americans and being able to put that out and share it in his resort with anyone and everyone who comes through should be terrifying to all Americans. Mm -hmm. And he needs to be shot. Stop. Uh, would you would you kindly just just do me one favor? Just let's listen to that. One, I wish we had that thing where we could just slow it down, but it's okay. Just listen very closely one more time to the Democrat representative from the Virgin Islands. Get it. Trump not only have had the codes, but now having the classified information for Americans and being able to put that out and share it in his resort with anyone and everyone who comes through should be terrifying to all Americans. Mm -hmm. And he needs to be shot. Stop. 
stopped. Donald Trump needs to be shot. Stopped. Uh, Donald Trump needs. Donald Trump needs to be shot. So I stopped. Shot. Stop. Shot. Stop. And he needs to be shot. Stop. Yeah. Exactly. Stop. He needs to be shot. Now, I imagine some of you out there are saying at this moment, especially you libs, you're saying, oh, Snurdly, come on, be fair. Anybody can tell that she didn't mean to say it. Anybody in the world that was listening to her knows that she didn't mean it. Why are you making a big deal out of it? Why are you suggesting that this representative, African-American beautiful woman from the Virgin Islands, is suggesting that a former president of the United States, who Democrats hate with a passion and with a vengeance, needs to be shot, stopped, shot, stopped. Shot. Hmm. If he was shot, he would be stopped. He needs to be shot, stopped. Okay. Shot stopped. So. Stop. Yeah. All right. I can hear you now. You. Why are you making a big? De- we never make a big deal out of stuff like this. People misspeak all the time, and here you are. You're trying to be mean. You're picking on. You're picking on the girl. You, I'm sorry. She's a woman. You're picking on the woman. Are we allowed to say that now because you know. Man, woman, yeah, that's like yesterday lingo. Um, why are you picking on her? Anyone snurly knows that it was an honor. It could have been a Freudian slip, but she didn't mean it. And there you are trying to make a big deal out of it. We, liberals, we never make a big deal out of things like this. People misspeak all the time, right? We, when have you ever, when have you ever heard us Make a big deal out of somebody that makes a simple misstatement. When? When have you ever? You know what? I'm so glad that you asked that question. And you asked the right person that question because I have a memory like a steel trap. And as soon as I heard this, I said, I know what it's going to be. There's not going to be a big firestorm over it, and there isn't. There's not going to be media kerfuffle. This is not going to be all over the news tonight. There will be no New York Times coverage of this. The AP probably won't even bother writing up a little story about it. Why should they? It was just a misstatement, right? My friend, let's use the time machine and go back in time. The year was 1995. Let me read you the news story. I don't have the soundbite, but I have the news stories surrounding the soundbite. And here is the AP. I also have the New York Times story, too, because it wasn't just the Associated Press. It was also the New York Times. This was on every 
single left-wing mainstream media news outlet carried this story. And it was, the story was so incendiary. It forced the House Majority Leader at that time, Dick Army, to have to come out and make an apology on the House floor. And this is what that apology sounded like. Mr. Speaker, this morning, I mispronounced the name of my friend and colleague, Barney Frank, in a way that sounds like a slur. Remember that? Let me make this absolutely clear. Make it clear, Dick. The media and others are reporting this as if it were intentional. Yes. And it was not. What? I repeat, this was nothing more than the unintentional mispronunciation of another person's name that sounded like something it was not. There is no room in public discourse for such hateful language, and I condemn the use of such slurs. After I heard about, the, uh, about how the story was being covered, I called Congressman Frank and I told him of my stumbling over his name, and I apologize for the perception created by the press that I would even think of such terms. It was not an attack. It was not even a Freudian slip. Aha! Uh -huh. I have worked with Congressman Frank in the past. Aha! Uh -huh. I consider him a friend. Mm-hmm. I am disappointed that the media and others would take this incident and turn it into a firestorm. Yeah, that's right, Dick. A fire. A firestorm. What did Dick say that caused such a problem? He uttered the word, and I heard it. I heard it then, and I said, you got to be kidding. They're not making a firestorm out of this. you got to be kidding. I heard the quote. He said, Barney Fat uh, Frank. That's what he said. Barney Fat Frank. The news story did not say he said Barney F.A. ellipses. Ellipses are the three little dots. The news stories didn't say that that Dick Army actually said Barney Fat and then stopped himself and then said Frank dot dot dot. No. Here's what the news story says. This is from the AP, and this is their headline. I am quoting the AP headline. James does not use these words. This is an Associated Press headline. Disclaimer. Hold on. To the lawyers listening. To the lawyers. This story is from the Associated Press. 1995. This is not James Golden Bosnerly. These are not my words, but the words of the Associated Press. One more time. For the lawyers, internal and external, 
These are not my words. This is what the Associated Press put in their headlines that day. Army calls fag reference slip of the tongue. House Majority Leader Dick Armey has apologized for referring to a homosexual colleague, Massachusetts Democrat Barney Frank, as Barney Fag during an interview. He said, he said, he said it was a slip of the tongue. Parenthesis, this is James now. AP's really translation. We don't believe him. He's a Republican, and we don't give the Republicans an inch. Not one inch, ever. We don't give them the benefit of the doubt. We know what we wanted to hear, and we're reporting exactly what we wanted to hear. And then, Barney Frank spoke up in the Associated Press story. The guy that Dick Army said was his friend? Oh, he's my friend. I work with him. He's my friend. Frank said he did not believe the remark which Army made during a session with broadcast reporters was intentional. Ah, okay, so listen to the first sentence. That's a good one. He said, Barney Frank said he did not believe the remark which Army made during a session with broadcast reporters on Friday was intentional. But, but, it may not have been intentional, but, I could not accept that it was wholly accidental. I just had to believe that it was somewhere in the back of his mind. Now, let us keep in mind a few things about Barney Frank. I realize that some of you do not know the history of Barney Frank. Rush used to have a theme song for him. We used to do Barney Frank updates. He had, it was my boy, Lollipop. And that's a whole other thing. Not going to go there. Um, anyway, Barney Frank, at one point, had a man who, by the way, I used to talk to from time to time. He used to call the show, the Rush show. And I talked to him. Well, nice, nice guy. Nice as can be. Nice as can be. But his male friend lived at Barney's residence and ran a male prostitution, it was alleged, business from said residence while Mr. Frank was a member of Congress. Mr. Frank also was the chairman of the House Banking Committee for many years. In fact, Paul Shanklin did a marvel, I think we have it in the library, because I requested it at one point, called Banking Queen. Paul Shanklin did an amazing parody for Rush about Paul Shanklin. Do we have it? When we go to the break. But hold on, hold on. We'll, we'll, we'll go to the break with it. We'll go to the break with it. This was a parody that Paul Shanklin did, and we'll play it going into the break in moments. But Barney Frank demanded, he was one of those Democrats that demanded 
that these subprime mortgages continue when George Bush tried to shut it down. I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version here. Those loans were responsible for the economic downturn in 2008 when the whole real estate market went bust. And it was Barney Frank, as chairman of the banking committee, who stood in the way of those loans being reformed. Hence, the parody banking queen that you will hear as we go to the break. But this is a tale that is a normal tale. A Republican can have a mere slip of the lip, and it became a national firestorm. And my friends, when I tell you, there were people calling for Dick Armey to resign his office. It was a firestorm. Yet, dear Miss, do you have our esteemed colleague from the West, from 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 uh, the the American Virgin Islands? Let's listen to that one more time, shall we? And then let us go right in to Banking Queen. Mr. Speaker, Anytime. this morning. No, no, not him. Her. Trump not only have had the codes, but now having the classified information for Americans and being able to put that out and share it in his resort with anyone and everyone who comes through should be terrifying to all Americans. Mm-hmm. And he needs to be shocked. Stop. WABC Talk Radio 77. He needs to be shot. Stopped. Stopped. He needs to be shot. Stopped. We've been saying that for... Yeah. He does, right? Mm-hmm. Stacy. Swing. Oh, did I mention that Barney had a little bit of a lisp? Anyway, that's Paul Shanklin's Banking Queen, James Golden Snurley with you here on WABC. Coming back, 800-848-WABC. The Rush Hour is on the air. Attention Ditto Heads. Attention Bo Scouts. Rush. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Four tops. Bring us back. Nineteen sixty-five. On this day. Four Tops went to number one in the U.S. singles charts with I Can't Help Myself. Now, a little backstory there. The lead singer of the group, Levi, Levi Stubbs, 
did not like this vocal. He wanted to do it again. And he was told session was over. He was promised. Okay, we'll do another take. Went home. <laughs> no more takes. This was it. But it turned out well. Number one. Second take. This was the second take of his vocal. And worked out like a charm. Now this song, by the way, has some personal significance to me. It was the first was 45 about, right? Right. This was the first 45. First single that my parent, my mom, took us out to Great Eastern Mills out on Long Island. Long Island. You know, and they had this huge section there for the for the records. And so she told the three of us, my brother, my sister, and me, okay, you can buy one record. And this was the one that we bought. And it was had to be 1965. Yay! It still sounds good, doesn't it? June 19th, the holiday. If you're off enjoying the holiday, enjoy it well. From the New York Sun today, Dean Carianis, the amazing historian. Juneteenth celebrates a step to creating a more perfect union and invites us to take more. Today, America is marking its newest federal holiday, Juneteenth Day of Observance. It marks the advance of liberty, but many will miss out on the joy embracing the defeatist notion that anything short of perfection isn't worthy of celebration. On June 19th, 1865, Major General Gordon Granger of New York arrived at Galveston to take command of the District of Texas, holding the torch of liberty that had fallen from President Lincoln's hands. Aware that how Reconstruction was executed would decide if the slaveocracy remained buried or rose from the dead. It's common these days to mumble a defensive, America isn't perfect, on occasions of national pride, as if our nation wasn't founded by men mindful of human shortcomings who set out not to create a utopia, but to form a more perfect union with each passing generation. It would have been easy for Granger to focus on appeasing white citizens going soft on them at the expense of the freedmen, as President Andrew Johnson did, in the doomed hope that the Democrat Party, the Democratic, I say Democrat because it annoys them, the Democratic Party would reward him with its 1868 presidential nomination. Instead, on that first day, Granger enforced emancipation. The people of Texas, 
he wrote in general order number three, are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. Now, Dean then writes this. Remember that line when Cynic snarked that Lincoln's 1862 Emancipation Proclamation was meaningless since it applied only to states in rebellion? rebellion? Without it, Granger's order that the first Juneteenth celebration by the 250,000 Galvestonians it freed would have never happened. Granger stressed that he meant absolute equality, erasing the Declaration of Independence unspoken caveat, which read, like the one in George Orwell's communist allegory animal form, that are all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. In 1912, The Sun, this newspaper, The New York Sun, The Sun invited black leaders to comment on the 50th anniversary of emancipation, Booker T. Washington reflected that it had benefited two races in the South rather than one. And America was just beginning to realize to what extent both races were fettered in their growth by reason of slavery. The nation Washington, Washington contended was beginning to realize How much more can be accomplished through free labor, free thinking, and free speaking rather than through slavery? Washington sought to inspire subsequent generations to address the imperfections his could not overcome. I'm going to stop there. Dean, this is such an important point. If you ever visit the Jefferson Memorial, you will find in it one of the most scathing scathing, scathing quotes concerning American slavery written by Thomas Jefferson, who himself owned slaves. And basically, it's, he, he, he bemoaned that God would punish this country if this horrible institution, which he participated in, were allowed to continue. When you talk about this notions, the notions, so much of our history is misunderstood by people. You cannot escape the ugliness of the three-fifths clause that was written into the Constitution, that black people are three-fifths of a human being. And people read that. Oh, people, these founders were terrible people. Imagine that calling other human beings three-fifths of a human being. Terrible, terrible. And, and it is. You can't escape the black and white of the words, the ink. But because our history these days is so mangled with political activism and with ignorance, People don't understand why that was written into the Constitution in the first place. Again, cliff notes, because I don't have time to do a whole discourse on it. 
without that clause inserted into this Constitution when it did, when it was the slave states because of the populations of the slave states, including the slaves, would have dominated the federal government. Dominated, without question, the entire framework of the founding of America. And would have, the problem of slavery would have been exacerbated by who knows how long. Maybe as long as a hundred years. We don't know. It was a necessary evil to deal with the necessary evil. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, 800-848-WABC. Martha Reeves. On this day in 1964, this one was the hit. Reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100. One of the songwriters on this one? Marvin Gaye. WABC Talk Radio 77. Golden with you here. Coming back. Your call is going to be part of the program, so if you're on hold, stay on hold. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Rush. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Paula Abdul, birthday today, 1963, Paula Abdul came on the scene. Back in the days when MTV was the thing. I'm caught in a hit and run. Caught in a hit and run. Yeah. There's an article in, um, this is one of the most profound articles that I have read recently. And I'm not going to be able to do it any justice. You will have to search this one yourself. I'm going to give a warning to liberals. It is going to, it will trigger you like you have not been triggered in a long time. He needs to be stopped. Yes. The... The website is called Palladium, Governance Futurism. And when I tell you the profundity of thought that you will find on this website is mind-blowing. 
Harold Robertson is the author of this piece. It was published at the beginning of the month. And it's called Complex Systems Won't Survive the Competent Crisis. I know you're on hold, coming to your phone calls. It begins this way, and this article prints out to almost 20 pages. I'm going to just delve into the first two or three paragraphs, because that's all I will have time to do. At a casual glance, the recent cascade of American disasters might seem unrelated. In a span of fewer than six months in 2017, three U.S. naval warships experienced three separate collisions, resulting in 17 deaths. A year later, power lines owned by PG&E started a wildfire that killed 85 people. The pipeline, carrying almost half of the East Coast gasoline, was shut down due to a ransomware attack. Almost half a million intermodal containers sat on cargo ships, unable to dock at, a Los, Angel- at Los Angeles ports. A train carrying thousands of tons of hazardous and flammable chemicals derailed near East Palestine, Ohio. Air traffic control cleared a FedEx plane to land on a runway occupied by a Southwest plane preparing to take off. Eye drops contaminated with antibiotic-resistant bacteria killed four and blinded 14. While disasters like these are often front-page news, the broader connection between the disasters barely elicits any mention. America must be understood as a system of interwoven systems. The healthcare system sends a bill to a patient using the postal system, and that patient uses the mobile phone system to pay the bill with a credit card issued by the banking system. All of these systems must be assumed to work for anyone to make even simple decisions. But the failure of one system has has cascading consequences for all of the adjacent systems. As a consequence of escalating rates of failure, America's complex systems are slowly collapsing. He goes through it. Now, I said I was only going to read two paragraphs. I got to read one more because this is one that's going to set the freaking left off. Left alert, buckle your seatbelt, sit down, take whatever it is that you smoke or drink or sniff to make yourselves feel better when you're triggered, because you're about to get triggered. He goes through all of the things that happened, the wonderful progress that was made, the SAT, how, it, how the SAT test was used, and then other tests came in to establish a system 
of meritocracy, people rising to the top based on their merit, their merit, their merit, because they deserved it through their work. And then he says, by the 1960s, the systematic selection for competence came into direct conflict with the political imperatives of the civil rights movement. Uh Uh-oh. During the period from 1961 to 1972, a series of Supreme Court rulings, executive orders, and laws, most critically, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, put meritocracy and the new political imperative of protected group diversity on a collision course. Administrative law judges, hey, hey, IA, be quiet. What the hell? Thank you. In other words, my friends, that was our IA. We do. We have, we have IA here. We're using it. By the 1960s, all of this was put on a collision course with the civil rights movement is the point. The civil rights movement ushered in the idea of the protected class. It's not about merit anymore. It's about what class you belong to that's protected. And everything has cascaded downward since then. I cannot wait to hear the liberals call this one of the most racist things they've ever heard since the bell curve. But this is profound. Take a break. Coming back. Your call is coming up. We're going to do rapid phones. You know what that means. Rapid phones on June 19th. Means you got to get right to your point when you get on. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, here with you on WABC. Don't go away. We get it almost every night. And when that moon gets a big and bright, it's supernatural delight. Every border was dancing in the moonlight. This is The Rush Hour with Bose Nerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Nineteen ninety on this day. Prince played the first of twelve sold out gigs at Wembley Arena in London. If you have been to Wembley, I've been to Wembley twice. I mean if you sold out Wembley once, most artists would consider that a life's achievement. 
12 nights of sold-out performances at Wembley. Unbelievable. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, presents Rapid Phones. All right, you got to get right to your point. Let's start with the phones. Thank you for being so patient and waiting. And Adam in Mineola, welcome. How are you? Hey, buddy. All right. I was just thinking about that U.S. Uh, from the Virgin Islands, that representative. She may be yep. thinking about Trump getting charged with treason, and that's why she had that slip-up, sir, because he might get still get charged with treason in the future. That's all. Thank you. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? That's a good one. All right, Stan, in Forest Hills, you're up next. Thank you. Reparations. Reparations have been paid within the century that we have been living in, the last 100 years. Two to 300 years, no. But there are precedents for it. It happened in St. Louis in the 1930s. We paid black families that were killed. So reparations have been done. It's being done within the century that we live in, as the Germans have paid the Jews in for the 1950s, 40s, and 50s. It's there. We are paying reparations. I didn't get mine. I didn't, when you when you get hurt, I, like, yo, no, no, I don't want to hear that mess. I didn't get mine. Where's mine? Did you deserve it? Of course. Excuse me. If you're going to pay reparations to somebody, how can you exclude me? Incidents am I not that, am I not black enough for you? What are you saying? No, if incidents that have happened, did they burn your home? Uh, they, what a, I, I, no, no, no. That's you're missing the whole concept of reparations, my friend. Reparations don't come from incidents that have happened to individuals. Reparations come to skin color, okay? This is what liberals demand. If you are black or brown, you get the cash. It's simple. We don't wanna hear nothing about no incidents, homie. Where's the cash? Bring us the cash. Where's the money? And I want mine. In LA, they are talking about $5 million a person. How you gonna hand out $5 million to some homies in a state where there never was slavery? and not give me mine. So don't call here with all that stuff trying to get people discouraged. Come on, reparations have been paid. The reparations haven't been paid. I know the real deal. You just don't want to come out with no money, bro. That's all. You don't want to pay. But you're going to pay. You're going to pay your reparations. You're going to pay your fair share. Okay? And stop fussing about it and just hand over your money. All right, let's go. Jeff in Queens, you're up next. Hello, Bo. How are you? Today? Hi. I'm good, man. How you doing? Well, listen, you know, I just hit the 7-0 mark, and uh, I listen with great interest to your takes on uh, the music of our era, and it's, like, incredible. So kudos to that. And the other night, I held on for a long time. You played, uh, like, a Rolling Stone, Bob Dylan, and you happened to mention Al Cooper. And I was waiting on hold, and that's exactly what I'd wanted to talk to you about. And I'm like, what a lead-in. And with that, I got disconnected. So I'm oh. back tonight. And okay. I'm going to mention an album that I think is lost to antiquity that is one of the finest albums of all time. And it's the original, first, Blood, Sweat, and Tears album, Child oh. of Father's End. Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. And Blood, Sweat, and Tears, look, man, Blood, Sweat, and Tears to me predated all of them. And what I mean all of them, I'm talking about some of the groups that I, L-O-V-E, with a capital love, okay, like Chicago. When Chicago busted on the scene, over. But there were also groups like Chase, there were groups like Cold Blood, of course, the mighty, incredible Tower of Power, but 
before all of those groups, blood, sweat, and tears. Last word belongs to you. Gone. Okay, Russ, you're up next. Right hey, to your point. Stand up for associate pay reparations to all the WABC listeners he oppresses on a daily basis. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Saul, Long Island, you're up next. Make it quick. James, isn't it true that to become president of the United States, you have to be tall, rich, and good-looking? So Chris Christie has no chance. Oh, now more on the Chris Christie look things. Look, that is not true. And if you look at history, our history, you will find that there were some presidents that had the same kind of girth as Mr. Christie. And I don't appreciate, look, I don't appreciate when y'all talk about people being fat, okay? For very good reason, I might add, but I'm trying to lose. So is he. Let's give the guy a break. Oh, that's it. May God bless and protect each and every single one of you and your families. Love and gratitude. Thank you for being here today. God willing, be here tomorrow for Bolsonaro's Rush Hour, 4 o'clock. Bye. He needs to be shot. Stopped.